Hello, hello everyone. Uh, welcome to 2022, which is turning out to just be a uh, extension of 2021. Uh, this is James Kent. I'm your movie Morlock. And I have seen a bunch of different things to start the year off. Lots of films are streaming right now, these year-enders. I think I've been disappointed by a ton of them. And I kind of want to mention them just because people might think, well, didn't he see this movie or that movie? Well, I've seen them. I just didn't like them that much. I saw this uh, Tick, Tick, Boom movie uh, with Andrew Garfield playing Jonathan Larson, the guy who created Rent. I was excited to see that. It took me a while to watch it. Really hated it. I thought it was just, eh. I think if anything, it just shows that the, the, he did well with Rent, but his other musical, Tick, Tick, Boom, the songs were not that great. Uh, Andrew Garfield was good in it, though. Uh, but it just was, it was kind of a long movie, and I didn't really enjoy it. Um, I also didn't enjoy The Lost Daughter. I'm not going to really talk about that on this program, uh, but I was really disappointed. Heard great things about it, and uh, I didn't think that Maggie Gyllenhaal did a bad job making the film. Uh, you know, she showed great uh, filmmaking chops, but I just found it a really depressing uh, film with no one to root for, no one to like. Uh, kind of, I don't think I liked a single character in that movie. So I saw that, I was disappointed. I saw Don't Look Up. Um, found it amusing. We watched it on Christmas Eve, the whole family, uh, me, my wife, and the two kids. And we found it, you know, chuckles, but I also had some issues with it. I didn't think it was as biting as satire as it could have been. And I think it was miscast a little bit. I think that the movie would have been better with a, out a bunch of A-listers in the movie. Maybe a little bit of, of like B-listers were just some really good character actors. And I think that having like Leonardo DiCaprio in it, Jennifer Lawrence and Meryl Streep, it kind of took away from the movie a little bit. So that, that was sort of a mixed bag for me. But I'm going to return for this episode, at least the start of it, to a film that I did talk about in the last episode, but I talked just basically by myself, uh, mentioning that I saw it, um, and that was Licorice Pizza, uh, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie. I, I caught it opening weekend in 70 millimeter in New York City. Um, so I had some thoughts on that, but I felt that I wanted to kind of keep a lot of the discussion points out of that uh, conversation until I could actually speak to somebody else who saw the movie. Um, and since the movie came out uh, in the past few weeks before it kind of hit its wide release, there's a few elements of the movie that I thought just watching the film for the first time, they I could tell they were going to be controversial. And in this day and age with social media, there would definitely be some things that uh, would bubble up. And they certainly have, um, but not too much because everybody's been focused on, I think, Spider-Man and what a big hit that is. And kind of it's dwarfing all movies that have come out. But I knew there would be a person that I could count on that would go out, see Licorice Pizza, and I believe was able to go out and see it in the theater in 70 millimeter. And that is trusty Shannon who visits from time to time. And uh, I think she saw Licorice Pizza. I'm pretty sure she did. Did you see? <laughs> did you see that movie, Shannon? I did see that movie. I did see it in all of its glorious 70 millimeter. Welcome, by the way, to the program, Shannon. Oh, thank you for having me once again. Uh, happy to be here to discuss Paul Thomas Anderson's latest offering. <laughs> You're going to have the floor for the first part of this discussion, and then I kind of maybe counter in, but I have a series of questions that I want to ask you as we kind of work our way into the discussion. I did not realize this would be an interrogation, but it's okay. It's not, not a series of questions. Get that light out of my face. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I guess I want to just a couple of things. So 
you've seen most of or all of Paul Thomas Anderson's work or I, I don't know how from I, mean, I can't just assume oh you've seen all his movies I really don't know no, and I, I have not I think I've seen most I haven't seen Inherent Vice um, mm. I haven't seen uh, probably a couple of others but Phantom I'm Thread kind of, yes I saw Phantom Thread I really liked so I, I'll say what I've seen Boogie Nights yep. um, Hard Eight I yep. think is one That's of his earlier first. ones there will be blood. I have not seen the master or Magnolia, which I know are two important ones. And punch drunk love. No, I haven't seen that. Oh, one. He, he that's that's it. I mean, he's made. I think so I've seen he's about made half. Nine movies uh, features, and that's yeah. the same as as Quentin Tarantino. Ironically, you know, except for he doesn't go the ninth film from Paul Thomas Anderson. Right, licorice pizza. <laughs> so, his ego's not that big yet. <laughs> it, right. So one of the things that I've noticed, having seen all of his films, is that almost in everyone, he has very fa- he's fascinated, I think, with complex relationships. Absolutely. Well, Boogie Nights, it's really an ensemble piece. Uh, Magnolia is another ensemble piece. Heart Eight is his first, and that's got complex relationships going on. And then Inherent Vice, it's another ensemble piece. With, that's just so weird. There will be blood, obviously, complex relationships. The Master, which you said you haven't seen, there's a very complex dynamic between Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And then Phantom Thread, there's a complex relationship there between yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis and I'm forgetting her name. She was in most recently old, um, the M. Night Shyamalan yeah, I, re- I can't recall her name. So he's very fascinated in not your standard relationships. Um, sure. And I feel like that's what I've noticed in Licorice Pizza. But okay, so I, have, I just wanted to get a baseline for how many of his films have you seen. So you went and you you had you live near a theater that actually shows film on film, mm-hmm. yes, and and was showing it in seventy millimeter. So when you went to the movie, was it busy? Like what was the story? Because I mean, I know that you know we're, right now with the Omicron virus and everything, that's always a concern going to the theater. But if you're not yeah. going to see Spider Man, it seems like you might have a good <laughs> chance of getting some empty seats around you. Yeah, no. And so the particular theater that I go to, they're the only theater that has 70 millimeter capabilities, I think, in the entire state of Oregon. And so whenever they do 70 millimeter screenings, it's always super popular. Like um, I saw Hateful Eight when that came out and that was like a full packed theater. But now in the age of COVID, um, you know, definitely the crowd was pretty good. And we went, I think, the Monday after Christmas. So, you know, I was expecting it to be kind of busy because people are, you know, taking that week off or whatever. Um, So it was a decent crowd, but still, like, had plenty of room, like, nobody in front of us, nobody behind us, somebody, like, four seats down um, to our side. So it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. But, I mean, for movies that I have seen in the age of COVID, it was probably one of the more crowded um, movies I've seen. Uh, in a theater. So it was it was a good size crowd, but in terms of COVID, I didn't feel uncomfortable with that. Now, what about the experience of 70 millimeter? I mean, I've kind of on, on record have said that, you know, I love 70 millimeter and I think it's a treat mm-hmm. no matter what. I mean, I, I would watch any movie <laughs> if it was shown 70, yeah. but I don't feel 
you're certainly, I don't feel like you have to see it in 70. I think that if you could see it projected, that's great because Mm -hmm. I think that trying to look like films of that period. So if you see it projected on film, no matter what, that's a little bit more authentic. But I don't know if I felt like that 70 was so incredible compared to some others that I've seen. Right. And I'm not like a, a film like literal film expert. So like I didn't even really have any concept of 70 millimeter until I started going to this theater and they were like right. showing in 70 millimeter. And I was like, what is that? Um, so it's only with, been within the last like seven or eight years that I've even realized that there was something besides like digital and 35 millimeter. So being able to see movies in 70 millimeter has been like a really amazing experience. Like I've seen many films there, like I've seen 2001 Space Odyssey on 70 millimeter. And that was like an experience. Um, So seeing this on 70 millimeter, it's a film that like, I don't think necessarily like needs to be on 70 millimeter, but it looked great. Like I, I thought the entire film was stunning like that is definitely one point in its favor um i thought it looked amazing and it definitely uh just evoked that feeling of of the early 70s of movies of that era like it really helped to sort of transport you um to that time period um and then just also speaking of visuals like the the costuming and sets in this movie are fantastic just absolutely top-notch loved everything about it from that perspective i actually think that if i saw licorice pizza first on say 35 millimeter or on digital then saw it in 70 millimeter it might have been like wow these these sets and details are even better because i'm now more familiar with the movie so i think seeing it maybe 70 millimeter as a second go might be better but uh I don't think I'm going to get a chance to see it in the theater again. I mean, it's just, right. I'm not going anywhere right now. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not worth it. <laughs> so you saw the movie, but uh, I'm going to, spoil alert this, is you were not, uh, I would say you weren't a super fan of the movie. Uh, that I will leave it, that let you tell what your thoughts were, but I know that you definitely took issue with the film. Yeah, and I'll say this up top, like, just to be perfectly clear, I didn't hate the movie. I would not say I hate this movie. It's trash. Don't go see it. There are a lot of great elements there, and I really do love Paul Thomas Anderson as a filmmaker. Um, Boogie Nights would probably be, like, one of my, like, top 15, 20 films, because I I really, really love that movie, and I think he – I think he's a great writer. I think he makes great characters. Um, But everything that I enjoyed about Licorice Pizza was always just sort of undercut by like, okay, but why is this 25-year-old woman hanging out with the 15-year-old? Like, I could not get past that at any point where I was like, this is fun. I'm enjoying the scene. I'm enjoying this interaction or whatever's happening. But then I'm like, but why though why are we doing this because there's like a whole scene and i can't remember it's it's like the falling in love montage that we've all seen in movies where like our two characters when you like a like they're doing their business together yeah they're doing and then you see like you know it's cute like their little knees are touching under the table and i like the sort of like one side of my brain is like I I recognize this as like two people like falling in love or like when you when you've had a crush on somebody and like you're getting close and like that little like butterfly feeling I understand like that that is what I'm supposed to be feeling but the logical side of my brain is like 
but sweetheart, like you're, what are you doing? You're 25. And I say this as someone who was once an aimless 25 year old woman who <laughs> like didn't know what I was doing, like just graduated from college, didn't know what I was going to do with my life. But in all that confusion, I never dated a 15 year old. I never hung out with a 15 year old. I wouldn't have wanted to hang out with a 15 year old. So that for me, that was a very tough thing to get past. And I'm surprised by the number of reviews that I have read after I've seen the movie. I, I famously sure. try to avoid reviews and reading about movies before I see them if it's something that I'm like, you know, actually interested or invested in. So most of the reviews that I've read like mention the age difference. Like, yeah, it is weird, but like here's all this other great stuff about this movie. Here's what we love about the movie. And for me as as a as um a viewer, I can't brush that to the side. It's too gross for me. Um, and, you know, maybe I've heard some people say like, well, it was the 70s. And like, sure, like my husband was like, even like at my high school prom, there were girls who were like bringing a 25 year old to as their prom date in 1998. And I'm like, sure, yeah, that happened. Still not okay. Like I, even if it was <laughs> the 70s, it still isn't okay. <laughs> um, right. So, so that was, that is a lot of my, issue with the film and so and it's a, it's a big issue it's a, a hard thing to overlook because for me it makes me feel that alana as a character who is the the 25 year old woman in the film or 28 whatever um i i can't get on board with her girl get your life together like what are you doing and then just further from that, and then I'll, I'll let you speak, uh, but this is an interrogation. Uh, this is, well, you said this is an interrogation? <laughs> you told me it was. No, I said it was not. You said the word interrogation. I said, no, it's just, I said I had some questions. <laughs> now you're putting words in my mouth. What? <laughs> I, I find no. Alana as a character just profoundly sad. Like her life is so sad. And that's interesting but um do i need that illustrated through her relationship with a child an actual child and i, I you know i just i want to be very clear on that like he's a child he's 15 and she's 25 and there is not a world where that is okay well now i want to ask you a question okay um again this is why i think the movie is very interesting because i think that what you just described your journey watching the movie to me, that's amazing. It's amazing mm -hmm. that there's a movie out there that actually make it. You're watching, right? And it, it it it's juxtaposing stuff, film conventions that are supposed to be re re reflective of rom com, right? Some of these mm -hmm. like those scenes and making you root for characters, while at mm -hmm. the same time you're questioning, going, "What the hell? What am I watching here?" And, mm -hmm. you, and you're getting a little disturbed by it. And I, mm -hmm. and that's why I, I'm uh, some of the brilliance I find in this movie is just how it makes you really go into this movie more than a surface level. And so the question I have for you is, do you think that what's maybe disturbing, and I don't know, I mean, again, I just that there are people that are kind of overlooking and dismissing it, maybe some of the super praise that, the film has gotten, oh, this great romance, and sure, mm -hmm. she's a little older, but that we know that in today's day and age, if we flip the script 
mm-hmm. and you had the exact same story and movie and everything was the same except Alana was 15 going on 16 and the other uh, Cooper mm-hmm. guy, Cooper Hoffman was 25 what the reaction was going to be. People would be outraged and people would be say he's a gross pedophile, ba 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 ba. Right. And that it's not okay because it's 1973. Yeah. Yeah, works both ways, sweetheart. She's a pedophile. She's doing some wrong ass shit. <laughs> but here's the thing is that we we now today, you know, we look at that and be just like horrified, right? Mm-hmm. This movie actually came out in 1973. And that situation we just described, mm-hmm. where it was a 15-year-old girl and a 25 I guarantee you, no one, well, because it was only male critics, mostly, except for Pauline Kale, uh, yeah. <laughs> would be still praising it and not and over and dismissing it. I mean, there was a movie that came out in, like, early 1980s by this uh, French filmmaker. And there's this guy whose teenage uh, stepdaughter, the mom dies, and he has to take care of her, and he falls in love with her, and they have an affair. And critics were going gaga over, oh, what a fun little romp. But it's like horrific. So that movie actually did get made. So I yeah. do think that that attitudes have changed when watching a film like this. But I think that Paul Thomas Anderson understands that, knows that. And because that is such a disturbing dynamic to have a teenager and an adult, he is putting this romance on display. It doesn't go full tilt. I mean, if we want to talk about the end, and yes, uh, anyone listening, this is a spoiler episode because we're going to have this discussion. We have to talk about details. So if you haven't seen Licorice Pizza, you may not have figured out too much so you can get off now. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> um, the thing is, is that uh, the end of the film where they finally kind of, you know, they do that embrace mm-hmm. and she says, I love you. And it's kind of like, I love you, Gary. And, right. Oh, but see, it barf. stops, right? And it's kind of yeah. like happy ending, whatever, you know, fun soundtrack credits. But I mm-hmm. think that we don't get the ending of whatever happens. But I think that afterwards, within five minutes, it's like, but we can never be together. I think it's, I was waiting for the post credit sequence where like 60 some year old Gary wakes up uh, in his bed and he's uh, smoking a cigarette and he's the used car salesman now. And he's, Oh, I had a dream about that girl I met when I was 15. Like it could have been good. Like that was, if only it had gone that way. Um, Because I like, I described the film in my review on my Instagram as a 15 year old's wet dream, because that's (laughs) what it seems like it. Gary is just, those were those eighties movies, right? Those were those 80s movies where there were tons of those movies where it was always about the oh, yeah. boy wanting to lose his virginity to the And all of the woman. women are super sexually available and are like, okay with this. And like, yeah, there's been a million movies. And I don't think that that's what this is. Now, here's a question that I have. I didn't know when I first saw the um, trailer for it. And I was like, oh, this looks like a movie I want to see. Mm-hmm. I remember based on just the scenes I saw, I'm like, what is the relationship between Alana Haim and uh, Cooper Hoffman in this movie? Because it looks like they're, like I knew how old she was. Like I had to look up because I'm like, I think when I remember, you know, Haim first getting on the scene, I'm like, she was the youngest of the sisters, but I'm pretty sure she's got to be, you know mid to late 20s by now. So I had right. to check the age, but I'm like, what's what's that relationship going to be? Or is like, did he cast her because he knows her and she's like, try, they're trying to pull her off as like an 18 year old? Because mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that I thought was interesting is that the question is, we know how old she is in real life. Mm-hmm. And I think 
nowadays we're shifting what we think is acceptable in these teenage movies. There's that Dear Evan Hansen, right? A few years ago, that movie comes out. No one ever questions the fact that that guy's like pushing 30 playing a teenager. But now we're like, this guy's pushing 30 and he's playing a teenager. That's creepy. See, we yeah. already had these new ideas. Hollywood for decades has been portraying teenagers like from 90210 down oh, to yeah. like Brady Bunch. Yeah. All these kids that are playing teenagers as a kid that messed me up because they were so much older and I didn't really understand. I mean, when I saw Grease, I'm like, those are really old. I didn't know like where is with teenagers, but they like Olivia Newton John was like almost 30. Yeah. Docker Channing was like, she was like 33. I thought I was going to be so sophisticated looking once I turned 18. I was like, that's what 18 year olds look like. <laughs> like, I, There's a show I like to watch on Netflix. I think it's Netflix. And it's um, Never Have I Ever, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. And it's this teenage girl, Davi. And it's narrated by the um, John McEnroe. It's like a comedy. And mm -hmm. it's, a, it's like about teenagers in high school. And she lost her father. And she's trying to get over that and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's very funny. However, her main love interest He's 30 as a teenager. <laughs> All these kids that are really old, right, are playing teenagers. So yeah. here's the first. So the one question is, say he made her 18. She's mm -hmm. still in real life 28. But say he, sure. she, she's really young looking. I mean, I think she looks like somebody that would be playing teenagers if they if she, yeah, she if they were like, like she's 18. I would have been like, OK. <laughs> now, he chose to have her as a 25 year old. So the 10 year difference. However, in the scene in the truck, when with Bradley Cooper, Right. Mm -hmm. He says, how old are you? How old are you? Right. And she says, 28. And she's like, no, I'm 25. She, the actress, forgot her re that she's really 28 and she's supposed to be 25. So she made a mistake. Paul mm -hmm. Thomas Anderson didn't make her redo that. He liked that take because he says, that's interesting that maybe she's been even lying about how old she is, that she's actually even older than she says she is, and that She's like still living at home. Her two sisters who are older than her are still living at home. And what's the weird part is it seems like a pretty functional family, but something's going on there that they're all living at home. Now, this is the mm -hmm. early 70s, all right? And there are some things that are different. This is why I thought it was fascinating it was that it was set in 1973. It was very, very specific. There's sort of that thing when we watch these movies from the 70s or it's based in the 60s or 50s. There's this idea of nostalgia. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, looking back, like we can put this in a period where it was so much better than it is today. But all of the things that we're critiquing the movie for, that disturbing relationship, that was a relationship that maybe was acceptable and that people weren't double taking it or saying pedophilia back then. We oh, are sure. now. So when we look at this film that's supposed to be so nostalgic, I think already Paul Thomas Anderson, and this is where... To me, Alana Himes' whole character and journey is that this is not a good time. This is not a nostalgic time. This is a terrible time. Because back then, if you're 28, and I still think of her as 28, but if you're a 28-year-old woman with two older sisters and you're all living in the house and none of you are married and none of you have like some big career job, in 1973, that was looked at as there's something wrong with you. And I mm -hmm. think that she's a person with arrested development who for whatever reason we don't get into is like, what's wrong with me? She, we start, we learned that she is a photographer's assistant taking pictures of high school students, right? Mm -hmm. So already something about her, we don't get that backstory, something about her, something has happened to this character where she wants to be back in high school. I don't know what has happened to this character, but she's already working a job in high school. 
And the movie kind of starts, it's like really abrupt. It, it's like in media res. It, it's already started mm-hmm. where you're in line. And the first trick I think he pulls is that you think you're watching a film about Cooper Hoffman, but you're really not. You're really watching a movie about Alana Heim. You are also watching a, a, a movie about him because he's got scenes without her. So you're seeing two people's journey, but I actually think that the movie is about her. And she has a very twisted relationship with men. She wants to be an adult. And the adult men in her life that she's supposed to be with are terrible. And the best, most adult version she can find is this kid. But I remember in your Instagram review of it, you said, oh, this kid, you know, because he's so adult and stuff. But see, I actually think that Cooper Hoffman is actually very immature. He's a 15-year-old, and he acts like a 15-year-old who just happens to be more responsible. And she's attracted to him only because he hasn't been so corrupted by life like other men that he has become as toxic as all the other men she seems to encounter in the movie, including Bradley Cooper's Lothario character. He (laughs) is uh, Cooper Hoffman's, Gary Valentine, Cooper Hoffman's character, is incredibly toxic he's a little piece of shit but i think that paul thomas anderson makes all of these choices to sh- look how irresponsible he is like he's not like a normal 15 year old he's very adult because he's like look at me i i'm an actor and i make my own living and now i'm an entrepreneur and i'm doing this and like look at how adult i am to me as an adult it looks very awkward and and childish and like i'm like ooh, gross like why are you being so adult you teen but he is equally toxic he's as toxic as any other man she encounters in this movie with the um telling her like you're gonna be an actress like that's alana is there like we meet alana we know she's 25 and she works as this photographer's assistant she goes and meets gary for dinner and what do you want to do I don't know. I don't have, you're going to be this. And in five years, I'm still going to be, I'm going to be 30 and still working as a photographer's assistant. I think you're going to be an actress. And then what do you know? She's being an actress. She's, he's taken her to her agent. And then he gets pissed when she says that she'll do topless because boo hoo hoo. Uh, I want to see your boobs, but you won't show, you'll go show your boobs on camera, but you won't just show them. Just show me your boobs. Like he's a toxic little piece of shit. Well, but see, that's why I think that he's still a child. Yes. But see, I think that's why he's so perfectly captured is that at that age, he thinks, well, I'm, I'm this act. He's like, you know, he's doing all the things that this 15 year old is trying to do to impress an older girl. I'm acting older, but he's acting so much like a teenager. And I think to your point, you find it creepy that she's like still attracted to him because he's a kid. And that's why I think it's like a 15-year-old's wet dream because it is like a 15-year-old's idea of what an adult is, of like, look how adult I am. But to an actual adult, me, I'm like, you're weird. Stop it. Like, this is this is creepy behavior. And then he just is like doggedly pursuing. It's like any other romantic comedy movie you've seen where just a man just wears a woman down until she finally agrees to date him. Like, that's... Well, see, I don't look at it that way because I feel like there's a good chunk towards the, like, the last part of the movie where they're really not together a lot. I actually was very surprised at how much they're not... Because they, at some point... Yeah, they have their little falling out. Well, because she was also realized this guy's too young. And I think that what happens to her, right? She she goes on. It was almost like one of these. It was like a casting couch thing gone wrong where she. 
Oh, with the William with Holden. Sean Penn, who's yeah. playing like William Holden, basically. Um, and of course, he shows up, right? And he shows up with somebody who's his age. And that's when you really see when that girl looks so much younger than mm-hmm. Alana Haim. It's really clear at how young. Now, why is he attracted to Alana Haim? I mean, I think there's a couple things. He has no father figure. Uh, Cooper Hoffman's character. Why does he act the way he does? He acts how he thinks a male's supposed to be. Uh, yes. He has no father figure, and he really doesn't have a mom. In a, in a way, if it's sick or not sick, I think he's attracted to Alana because he needs a mom figure, and so and she treats him very much like a mom at times. Like and he when, doesn't have a mom who's around. Like when he gets arrested and she like you know goes and like finds him and like she has a very mom reaction of like oh thank god you're safe but then like what are you doing you know and then like the what i feel like is a typical mom reaction of like i'm i'm happy you're safe but now i'm mad at you what did you do wrong it's to me it's a very complex thing like i said i i think he he gives a little bit of a romance for a moment but I don't – the reason why it ends there, so for those who love that kind of thing and they want a romance, it kind of ends nicely and you can go, well, they could be happily ever after. I think it if probably won't. If there is somebody – sorry. If there is somebody that sees this romantic ending and is like, yay, love wins, walking out of this theater. I know some people out there that probably would. Now, If you're listening – and you're happy for this couple, you're gross. You haven't seen Punch Drunk Love. No. And I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson, when he makes a comedy, it's not very, it's a weird. It's not very funny. <laughs> it's a really weird movie. But why I asked you at the beginning, if you'd seen some of these films, because there are some parallels that I saw in Punch Drunk Love and the romantic relationship there, which is mm-hmm. another odd pairing. And it kind of ends in a similar way where all you get the fact is that the two care for each other and they kind of come together in a moment that's almost shot per shot like the ending of Licorice Pizza and mm-hmm. it ends. And so I don't think Paul Thomas Anderson, the fantasy of a movie ends with that. And he also doesn't want to get into, he hasn't fully crossed the pedophilia line if they don't have intercourse. We don't sure. get that. We don't know if there's a relationship clearly based on their relationship. Let me go show is- my boobs to a 15-year-old and see who gets mad about it. <laughs> and disclaimer, I will not do that. I just want to be okay. absolutely don't, clear. That was a joke. I'm not yeah, showing I'm not my get boobs my to any down teen. here because that's going to get into the whole please, thing. No, please, no, 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 no. Joke's too real now. <laughs> well, but, you know, that's the whole thing is, right? Like, it does come into beyond a movie what you're saying. He's 15, maybe he's close to 16. I can't remember if he even has a birthday during the movie. Yeah, um, he says he's like a month from being 16 at one point or something and, like uh, that. And then I, I actually even looked up because I wanted to understand, like, well, what were the statutes there? 18 in California. That mm. was that's the law. However, there was really some questions that you could maybe get permission to be with somebody if you were 16. But uh, I just want to kind of like at least figure out what was the parameters. I'm a male and I just being full honesty. I thought about this relationship and the things that you thought about the whole time, Mm -hmm. but it is true. I was wrestling with this. I wasn't as bothered knowing what I was like at 15 or 16. And like, if there was like, you know, this gorgeous Alana Heim character Mm -hmm. that like I encountered or something like, you know, and that, that, like, would I have been like, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't have as that going, Oh my God. This person is inappropriate to me. Like, I wouldn't have seen that. And I don't know if I was bothered by it as much as if I, if like I watched the movie and she was a, a man and he was like a teenage girl, that would have bothered me. So I do recognize yep. there's some dynamics of the fact that I'm a male 
I wasn't bothered by this. And then you, you know, I think you're rightly critiquing is Paul Thomas Anderson, is he really thinking this deep or was he really like, oh, I don't have a big problem with it because he doesn't recognize it because he's a guy. This is obviously, I think it's an intriguing relationship outside of that giant age difference. And I think it could have been an equally intriguing relationship with not. So like if he were 18, he just graduated college or just graduated high school and she's 23, 25 and aimless. Even that I can get behind a little more because he's at least not 15. 15 is so close to 14. Or it's very close to 16. <laughs> yeah, you look at it. It's an uncomfortable age gap. And I don't think that there is anything in that relationship that could not be said or illustrated with a slightly with slightly less of an age gap because there's a lot of things like going on here. You have a 15-year-old boy who is enamored like the the older woman, like your your dream older woman. Of course, like that's a universal thing. And but then you have like this idea that um boys are like more sexually mature than women. Like you, we're talking about all of these like 80s lose your virginity romps and things like that. That's always been expected that a boy will be more uh, will be sexually active before uh, a, a girl because she's supposed to, you know, be like a good little girl and chase and all that. Um, and then there's a lot going on with the Alana character of just like, she's clearly looking for validation from a man. Like she needs a man to validate her and she's looking for it all over the place and she's not finding it anywhere but in this 15 year old who does look at her in a sort of like worshipful way and you know i've certainly been in situations where like of course you get a little ego boost when you find out like oh somebody has a crush on you or whatever um and so like I think there's a lot of that going on and i don't think any of those things happening would be diminished if he were just 17 or 18 and she's 22 or 23 or something like that. Like none of that stuff goes away. None of those dynamics change. And I just think by making such a a huge age gap and especially like as a woman, women are, you know, can be infantilized when they're in their 20s and their 30s. Women are expected to be sexually available to men. Um, And it is very, like I've said before, that movies about women that are written and directed by a man are always a little suspect. And this is exactly why, in my opinion. Well, it's interesting, though. You said one of your favorites of his is you love Boogie Nights. Yeah. But yet that, you know, that's about like the porn industry and... Yeah, I mean, I have no, I have no issue with like women being. I think he, um, Julianne Moore's character, roller girls in high school <laughs> when she's doing, and that's porn. fucked up. But she's, you know, she's doing it. Like she's consenting to do it. Um, is she underage in that movie? Yeah, of is course, she she's in high. I mean, yeah, I guess she. Oh yeah, she is in high. And so is he though. When he gets in there, he's still in high school. I know that the actors were older, but yeah, I, I, I guess that's the thing. Is that, like I said. I think that I think he created compelling characters in Boogie Nights. I think that he's doing that here is that that there's another aspect of this movie when we talk about like her. I mean, again, your your opinions they're they're more than valid. I mean, how you see her and the way she's still attracted to this boy, I don't see it as her attracted the way you do. I think that 
I think she looks at like she's so disappointed by all that. that I, there's a scene towards the end where, again, in his journey to try to be older, he's like lighting up a cigarette and she's like, don't you do that. And A, it's like being a mom. Mm-hmm. Why? What's the purpose of him like doing this? Mm-hmm. And yes, I can see why he's doing it. I got to be older. I got to smoke because I'll look yeah. older because he's not. I'm sophisticated. But she doesn't want them because I think what she's trying to do, maybe wrong, again, I think it's more on that mothering, nurturing thing, is that I think that her journey and all these other toxic males that she's encountered, she doesn't want him to be like that. That, yeah. And when she sees him smoke, that's another step of him making the wrong decisions that Mm -hmm. she doesn't want, that she sees there's a good, there's a good in him that is going to be like all these other awful males. And, you know, one of their other journeys, when we kind of go away from him for a while, she goes to work on a political campaign for mm-hmm. a real guy, uh, by the way. Yeah. Joel Walks was real. And you may know this by now. And he was another person who, he was trying to do good for the city and he had a private life. He was, he was gay in 1973. Mm-hmm. So there was this thing where you had one guy in the office that clearly was interested in Alana and he was already making Make these creepy out with that guy. When was well, he creepy? He wasn't creepy. I found, him cre- I found him creepy. I found that like he was like looking for like, how can I get this person to bed? And then he was mad that the candidate that she was going to go over to him. And she was clearly interested in uh, Benny Safdie is the yeah. actor. And then she kind of gets let down and get like, oh, I'm being used here. Used. Now, you looked at the whole thing with the actress part as look at this kid he's using her he's trying to get her i actually think that that uh cooper hoffman was genuinely like you know he he got her into this business right nobody had like she'd been an assistant but like she got to be like an actual but he didn't look at her as like oh you're a woman you can only do a secretary or this or that he like brought her in because he needed her and they started building a business together and i think she was attracted by the fact that wait a minute I've been. I'm getting to do something, and then she was actually. But able to he go. also brought her in because he has a crush on her and wants to be close to close well, to course. her. Wants to right. keep her close to him. Like he's not a, a benevolent little boy. He's like he has his ulterior motives. When he was like all jealous, when she ends up going on a date with his slightly older actor friend. Right. Yeah. I was like unclear how old he was supposed he was to be. I was him. like, he was, he was a I'm going to assume but... he's at least 18. Just because a movie doesn't give you everything and you have to fill in the pages. I think you're exactly right. There's something going on. And I thought it was fascinating with this. Uh, like, it's not your typical romantic comedy. I don't know what has happened to Alana's character before mm-hmm. all this, but yeah, she seems to, she likes this other kid who's a slightly, Older, but not that old. And then she, of course, when she starts to get like possible acting parts, she goes completely the opposite. She goes way old with Sean Penn's character, who clearly he's going to hope that he's going to be sleeping with her at the end of the night. Again, like, I just think that's a hurt. She's looking for validation from a man. She she is looking for someone to hook into. She's 25 years old. She's still living at home with her parents. She has a shitty dead-end job. She doesn't know what she wants to do with her life. And she, the, uh, the slightly older actor boy, he's famous. Like, he's, like, doing things. He's getting parts. She's like, yes, like, this, this is my, because she calls him, like, he could have been my ticket out of here, out of this house. Well, remember what was happening, though, in 1973. I mean, in 1973, I was three years old and my mom was 21. She had me when she was 18. 
There was mm-hmm. an expectation for a lot of women. You get out of because you're you're married and that. Her options yeah. clearly have been limited, but there really was. I mean, this is like, again when I look at this fake nostalgia that we have for these. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like when you look at certain things, it looks like, oh, the good old days. But I think for a woman, it was not that great a time. We feel like for some reason that, oh, 70s on up, that a lot had changed, right? The sexual mm-hmm. revolution, women's were getting rights that they didn't have. But I think that this film shows you a snapshot of a time when it was a super big struggle. And one thing yeah. that people haven't really talked about enough, I mean, I love the character. I think Bradley Cooper's version of an extreme John Peters mm-hmm. is some funny comic relief. Sure. However, the people that have bagged on this movie for all these other things, uh, to me, it's the layered effect of all this stuff because it adds up. You had said this thing, and I think it's right. I think this film is really about male toxicity and how mm-hmm. toxic males are. Bradley, John Peters, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Shampoo with Warren mm-hmm. Beatty. That's based on John Peters. And yeah. John Peters started out as a celebrity hairdresser, worked his way up, and eventually became, you know, a big movie producer. But he was a notorious womanizer. Yeah. And he had the, this pickup line about the peanut butter sandwiches when Paul Thomas Anderson said, I wanted to create this character. He said, you can go and as, as extreme as you want, but you actually have to use my favorite pickup line. And this guy, he was this ass-pinching, womanizing guy. And people think, oh, Bradley Cooper's, Character is just a hoot, but there's also this aspect there. And then this ties into why I think it's important, because I think this has been the thing that's overshadowed this entire movie, is there are two scenes in the film. And I think you're going to know what's coming. This guy, an actor, John Michael Higgins, he plays this character, Jerry Frick, who Mm -hmm. owned this um, restaurant and hotel, the Mikado. It was the first Japanese restaurant in the Valley. Uh, So it was a real place. And I don't know if that was based on an actual guy. So you see Cooper Hoffman's character, who again, he doesn't have a real father figure, and he sees these what he sees as successful businessman. So the two scenes we with this guy, you're seeing really through the eyes of Cooper Hoffman mm-hmm. and the way it's framed, you see kind of his sort of point of view of this guy, and then you see the people behind it. it like his this guy's wife, who is Japanese, she works at the restaurant, she doesn't seem to speak any English, mm-hmm. though that's not necessarily true because she seems to have understood right, exactly yeah. what he was saying. But I got a feeling that he is such a toxic guy that she doesn't really want to tell him that she understands him that much because he's clearly this awful guy. And he's talking down to her and he's even talking in a broken English way with an Asian affect. And yeah. whether or not people have seen the movie, people heard about this. And mm-hmm. even when I first saw this film and I kind of posted it on Instagram... Somebody reached out to me and she wrote this note saying, this movie is offensive to Asian people. Is it offensive? Or it's something that I'm like, <clears throat> she was an Asian Asian yeah. woman. But the way she posed it, it was kind of like saying she'd heard whatever she heard about this. And then mm-hmm. she needed me to tell her if it was offensive. And I was not going to play that game because right. I'm like, I don't look if, if you tell me a movie's controversial. Nothing gets me to the theater faster. I want right. to see controversial material because I want to see it for myself. I don't want to hear someone yeah, say, absolutely. oh, this movie is A, B, or C. I mean, it's just, I remember as early as like 1988 when uh, Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ came out. And people were banning mm-hmm. it and wanted Scorsese killed and all that stuff. I, I had to see <laughs> this movie for myself and was shocked at how not controversial <laughs> it was. Yeah, But I'm like, 
who am I to tell you something is going to be, if you even have that question to me, you're probably going to find it offensive. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I can't tell you. It's like, I can't say, Shannon, oh, I don't know if you should see this movie. You might find it offensive because a 25-year-old woman yeah. has a has a romantic interest in it. Well, maybe you'll find it offensive. Maybe you won't. But you need exactly. to see it for yourself. Don't rely on me. I'm a, I'm one of these toxic white males. Exactly. I don't <laughs> I, give a like, shit what you think. How could <laughs> my... My point of whether I found those scenes offensive. Now, when I saw the film and I watched it, I, I remember those scenes. I was like, whoa, this is making me uncomfortable. Yeah. I didn't see it with a packed theater. I picked a very safe time to see it. There were some uncomfortable, like, giggles, but it wasn't the kind of like, oh, this is funny. It was oh, more no. like, oh. And I think you had a different reaction, right? My theater never seen anything funnier in their lives. Really? Now, they... what do you think? people were laughing because they can't believe that someone would put that in a movie? Do you think they were laughing because they were nervous and it's really inappropriate? No, or it's they like, actually thought you know, it was hilarious? I, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think pretty much everybody has different laughter. Like, if I'm, it's like the <laughs> like, what? No, this was like, <laughs> Good stuff. It was, I mean, it was like, it was an older crowd, uh, I believe, like probably like 60 plus year old um, individuals. Um, but bo both scenes that involved that, they, because I I've had a similar reaction to you. I was like, oh, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> like, this makes me uncomfortable. Um, but, and I, I was e made even more uncomfortable by the amount of laughter, since sincere sounding laughter that it got in my theater crowd. And like, and I understand that, that, you know, Asian groups are very much speaking out against it. And well, I mean, I, again, I don't know how many of them are upset because they've seen the movie themselves or they've heard secondhand and whether sure. or not whether or not anything that's like denigrates any, you know, race, color, religion, whatever these days, that's like so, so bad. And mm -hmm. I looked at these scenes, right? And I say to myself, again, I have to look at, I, I, I'm not here with Paul Thomas Anderson asking him his intentions. And again, mm -hmm. if you do ask him his intentions and he says some things that he doesn't have a good defense for what he puts in his movies, then that might lead down the path of like, well, this guy was, you know, as shallow as we thought. <laughs> Having seen every one of his movies and knowing kind of, I mean, a guy who makes The Master <laughs> and, and makes There Will Be Blood and Phantom Thread, this guy isn't just, you know, I mean, this is a, this guy is a real filmmaker here. He isn't just putting things in for like, you know, he's thinking through the stuff. And so, again, I'm like, yes, he could have not put those scenes in the film. Out of all the scenes in the film, he could have certainly left those out. I, I mean, again, the movie was already two hours and 16 minutes. It could have been on two hours and five minutes. He could have avoided it. And if he left those in there because he thought, you know, he, he's, he's had some bad defenses, I think, of those scenes saying, well, this was kind of true to like, you know, relatives that he's had, he's seen. And, yeah, I read you know, that. And, and stuff. I mean, um, his, well, it's not his wife, but his partner, mm -hmm. her father got remarried after her mom died her mom right was, yeah so the singer and she is of asian descent and, and you know he hears that like you know sometimes sadly whether we like it or not these older generations that we have to still deal with they you know they're still inappropriate and don't even understand how inappropriate they are and i think he was trying to make that point and even in the early 70s i think that the scenes are in there because again this is the world this kid experiences right he sees this guy runs a business He's 15. He's already being shaped by this kind of inappropriateness. His mm -hmm. mom 
she's not saying anything. It's 1973 and it's a client of hers. And Mm -hmm. I think that you watch the scene. If you actually watch the scene and you see the actors and how they are reacting, there's stuff that's not being said that's going on in those scenes that make it very interesting that this guy is a total clueless jackass and everybody kind of knows it. And the only one who probably doesn't realize just how bad it is is maybe Cooper Hoffman because he's 15 years old. (laughs) And I feel that all these scenes in this movie where you got the montage and everything, it's very deceptive. It makes it feel like you're having a good time, but instead you're really watching a very dark movie. It's a yeah. dark film. And that's why I, I, kinda, I, I have not been able to have this film is not let – it won't let me go. Like I've been thinking about it. So I know there's something there. I may have got to see it again because unlike most films where I'm like, what even happened? Here it is a month later. And there's just so much that I'm digesting. And I love that we can have a conversation. We don't we don't agree on it. We, we have different things going on. But with, there's a film worth discussing, right? Mm-hmm. There's so much going on here. Sometimes a movie that disturbs the hell out of me is something that I think is pretty powerful. Is oh, yeah. that it isn't, you know, and I actually think that, again, if you don't like the character, you don't like the character. So that's going to spoil it for you. I, I think that, especially since Alana Haim's not an actress. I mean, this is her first real mm-hmm. film role. I thought she was flat out amazing in it. I think her performance is so good. Oh, I thought she did a, a great job. And like, I don't uh, dislike her character per se, but I, I feel very, very profound sadness for for this character. And And that in and of itself is, you know, something like that's what you want in a movie, right? Like you want a movie to elicit an emotional response from you. So in that way, it's it's very successful. But yeah, I thought she did a great job. Uh, it's so good to see somebody with normal teeth um, in a film. Uh, I love that she's just like a regular looking person. I know. <laughs> Everybody does feel like, just from a filmmaking standpoint, mm-hmm. it really... And, and again, two weeks later, I watched Inherent Vice on the big screen again in 70 millimeter. And that movie was nominated for its costumes. It, it takes place in like 71. Mm-hmm. And he understands that time period from a filmmaking perspective. So the look of the movie, while it's obviously, it's you know, it's 2022 and it's still, you know, you have to do the best you can. You're not spent a lot. You don't spend a lot of time thinking oh, these are people just pretending that it's 1973. You really kind of feel like you're like transported back in time uh, a little bit. I thought all of that was like super effective and the cinematography was really great. Like it just really captured that sort of like sun dappled, like endless summer days when you're like a teenager, like out doing shit with your friends and, and your 25 like, year old pal and your 25 year old <laughs> best friend and lover. And yeah, uh, I mean, she but, you know, it just, questions. Thankfully she questions it in the movie. I mean, she has her sister who's also played by her real sister. Mm-hmm. Both her sisters are in it and her parents are in it. They're all the whole yeah. time family are together. And yeah. she even says, do you think it's weird that I'm hanging out with Gary's yeah. little pal? Yeah. And the sister's kind of like, yeah, it's messed up. It's She's like, cause I think it's weird. You're right. Trust that instinct. Um, but she's just, she's so like profoundly messed up. Like she is just a sad, sad lady um and again as somebody who has been a sad sad lady 25 year old you can find better than a 15 year old well but for uh, her she couldn't whatever you know maybe it's the circumstances the time but she could i don't know what you picked up on the the campaign office guy like i was like yay finally 
to have a conversation with you as a woman, you're seeing things differently. Absolutely, yes. And I think that's really fascinating that a movie should be viewed different lenses. Do you think that you would feel the same way about the movie if the the two roles were swapped? If it's a 15-year-old girl and a 25-year-old man? I, I, I feel like he's playing with that idea that we are, like there's a sexist bias that, yeah, as a, as a teenage boy, because I'm thinking to myself, if I saw this movie and it, say it came out in 1986 when I was 16 and I saw it in a the theater with her, as a boy, I would be like, Oh, that's so hot. Yeah, you'd be like, hell yeah, I want, I aspire to this. <laughs> hell yeah, that's it. And I think there's an attitude that's changing. That's where we're at today, where it's changing. But I think there was an attitude of like, the boys will be boys and, oh, Absolutely. the boys getting an older woman. Hell yeah, way to go, 15-year-old up top. And I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson is playing with that. Th- that so that do notion. you think this is like a, a middle finger to that? Like if I, oh, you're you're all cool and loving this movie when it's an older lady and a man, but Kinda, or boy, but if I yeah. flip this, you'd be so fucking pissed. Like well, look because, at yourself. Yes, because some <laughs> of the things that people aren't talking about, right? He's probably mm-hmm. like, they're, they're talking about the John Michael Higgins stuff, but very isolated without understanding that that's what you're finding wrong with the movies. Like, but look at this relationship. That's the, I mean, and truly. Look at all this. nobody, Bradley Cooper, that whole sequence is amazingly hilarious. Mm-hmm. And that drive with the truck, that's great. Film. I mean, it's just fun. That was a really, it's amazing. Harrowing. <laughs> right. But think about when Bradley Cooper's in that truck, he is macking on her hard oh, in a, a very sleazy creep. way. And people are thinking it's hilarious. Everything Bradley Cooper is up. I'm like, I think, Paul Thomas Anderson is saying you have to look at every single male relationship I'm putting in this movie. Mm-hmm. These they're all bad. And look at the behavior that this kid experiencing. Now, I don't know if you know this. It's not a true story. However, a lot of the stories in it are based on his friend. Um this guy Gary oh, yeah. Getzman who was he was a child actor and he he did start a waterbed company and a pinball company when he was a teenager. Parlor. <laughs> And uh, I did, you know, as a kid, one of my favorite movies when I was growing up was Yours, Mine, and Ours, where uh, Lucille Ball and Henry Fonda come together and they they each have like nine kids or whatever. And he was one of the kids. I remember who this kid was. And so it was really funny when you saw those recreations where clearly I thought that that woman, Christine Ebersol, did a better Lucille Ball than uh, that that Being the Ricardos movie, which is another one I've seen. I still need to see that. (laughs) It's terrible. It's terrible. But uh, I want to see it. (laughs) <laughs> it was not good. Well, you must have Amazon Prime, right? Of course, yeah. <laughs> right, well, you can watch it. Now, Just gotta get right, to it. I think we've exhausted this uh, licorice pizza, and I thank you so much for, for talking it out with me because it's to me it's fun to have a discussion about a movie. And I can't have a yeah. discussion on Spider-Man No Way Out or whatever it is because not I saw the movie. <laughs> I saw the movie, and it was my kids enjoyed it. We all thought it was like, you know, it's good, but I, you know... There's just nothing you can talk about in a movie like that. It's just like a thrill ride. You paid your admission. You hopefully didn't get Omicron from it and you move (laughs) on. Um, This, I feel like, good, bad, or ugly, it's a great film to talk about and we've done it. Yes, we have talked about it. Check it off the list. Again, we've been on for a while, but I do want to just ask a couple of things. Again, this is an interrogation. So many questions today. <laughs> I made a face at the beginning. I said I didn't like The Lost Daughter. Have you seen The Lost Daughter? I just watched it this week. Yeah. 
I didn't love it. Um, it's 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 way too long. Um, but and it's not that long a movie, is it? It just feels like it's forever. it's like two hours and one minute, I think. Okay. But I like paused at like thirty five minutes, and I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, really? I feel like I've been here so long. But um, I think that's an interesting for me. The thing that I really took away from it um, is. I am a 41-year-old woman. I do not have children. And this movie is exactly why I don't fucking want kids. Um, I think, like, Maggie Gyllenhaal, like, she did a really good job. Like, the camera work is, like, very, like, it's always up close. Like, it's always, it's on um, young Olivia Coleman's character. Like, it's always, like, in her face and clinging to her arms and her body, just the way the kids are always like, mama, mama, mama. And it's so claustrophobic. And, like, I'm I'm watching it, and I want to, like, ah, just push something away from me because it's, it's such a claustrophobic feeling. And, like, that's, I mean, one of the reasons that I made the personal decision to not have children is because, like, I don't want something that always needs me growing up and as a 15 year old getting involved with exactly like how do you keep them away from these predatory 25 year olds (laughs) i know those those heim sisters they're gonna get you Um. (laughs) but i mean i thought it was like you know it's not my favorite movie of the year and i don't know the book so i can't speak to that but just i thought it was super effective of showing what i imagine motherhood is very much like (laughs) Well, and maybe that's why where people who really responding to it like say, hey, someone's finally honestly saying that you don't just always fall in love with motherhood every moment of the day. It's not, you know what I mean? It can be really like the idea that you'd love to be able to escape from everything. And and maybe during, you know, the pandemic in the last two years, there are a lot of people with young kids. I don't know how they've done it. Oh, God, I don't. And thankfully, my kids are a pretty self-sufficient age where the, the last two years, it wasn't like. I had to entertain them. You know, I feel like it's one of those movies that people, it's like you're being force fed into, you've got to love this movie. It's so powerful. Maggie Gyllenhaal. And I actually almost feel like there's this weird sexist thing going on where it's like, but Maggie Gyllenhaal, she's an actress. Look at what she can do when she's allowed to direct. I'm like, well, she's directed a bunch of episodes of a show that I watched that no one else did was The Deuce. And she's a really good oh, director. Oh, I love so, that show. Oh, you, she was, I love The Deuce. It was really good. And of course, we're not allowed to talk about it because of James Franco. I know, that fucking piece of shit. Man, it was a great Excuse show. my language. <laughs> It's okay. I don't, I, you know, look at for the, for the dozen or so people that will listen to this podcast, they can handle the swear words. Okay. Um, that was a great show. And she did a, a several episodes. She was a producer on it mm-hmm. and she was fantastic in it. I mean, that's the thing yes. is people who have not seen The Deuce are missing out on a hell of a performance uh, over several seasons. But she also directed a, a several of the episodes. Um, yeah. So I already knew she was a capable director. But to me, it was just a movie where, I mean, I couldn't root for anybody. Well, no, I don't think they're. I don't think you're supposed to. <laughs> I loved how it was an interesting critique. Imagine, if you will, that you're wanting to get away, right? COVID, couple years, you just want to be away from people. You're going to go to this like little quiet, oh my god, Greek yeah. seaside resort, and then a fucking boatload of Americans from Long Island or whatever Queens. Pull I, up. She's having that like gorgeous quiet day on the beach, and she's just like reading her book. She's the only one, and then those people show up i'm and like they're like having you know they probably have like family there so they're having like a reunion kind of thing and they're there yes, for several weeks loud and 
Ugh, ruining everything. And have you ever been on a vacation where like everything's going great? You go to the beach and then some freaking big family comes and they just plow yeah. right next to you and they're so loud and yeah. it's just they're the worst. And they're just, we're going to put on music and just like, bah, bah, bah. they want you to move away. So they have yeah. more space for themselves. So they're like, yeah. oh, we'll be as obnoxious as possible and we'll get rid of people. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> that does make for some interesting uneasiness throughout the movie because yeah. there's some creepy scenes. Um, mm-hmm. I don't feel like you get a full payoff on certain things. I feel like there are threads in the story that just disappear, but it was a little anticlimactic. Yeah. Like you don't get enough of the Peter Sarsgaard story. For me, yeah. Like when, because it keeps, like, it teases all those, like, flashbacks to, like, yeah. you know, and, like, you see that, like, she had daughters and she's watching this this woman with her daughter. And, like, did she's, like, shouting for one of the kids on the beach. And I'm like, what? It, like, oh, you just left for a few years? That's NBD, baby. <laughs> Do you, girl? <laughs> I find, though, this is just me and these conventions. I found it very set up and fake because I don't really think that in most cases, most people would ever sit there in that situation, have these things come and then suddenly be like distraught and taken back into their past in that moment and have these things. And that thing with the doll, those are conventions that I didn't read the book. And I think there's a lot that just those things bother me. Yeah, honestly, like it was every time it was like another scene of her with the doll. I'm like, get rid of the fucking doll. Yeah, I kind of was like, you know what? I'd love that <laughs> part to be over. Like, just give them the like, oh, I found your doll. And I, put I found I found your it. fucking doll. Yeah, exactly. I wanted that. to. But it was all designed for that pant that I didn't like. And they actually... I, I'll fault Maggie Gyllenhaal, I guess, is that she gives away, in a sense, the ending by putting it at the beginning. And I didn't like that because I'm like, oh, yeah, if you took that out, there might be a little bit more suspense in the movie as to what might happen. So, yeah. again, it was not my particular bag, though I would say that Olivia Colman was great in the movie. Dakota Johnson was great in the movie. Olivia Colman is yeah, perfection. She's, she's all the not going to be bad in your movie. You put her in exactly. your movie, she's going to be good. Yeah. I do want to say that there is one film that we both saw, and I'm encouraging people if you've even listened to this whole entire episode <laughs> and you're like, I don't want to watch this like a pizza now. It's just too scary to watch this, this pedophilia fest. All these critically acclaimed films coming out, streaming. I've been disappointed, like I said at the beginning, with a bunch of them. But the one that they're talking about is probably the best film of the year, and I'm having a hard time disagreeing with them, is Jane Campion's Power of the Dog playing on Netflix. It is a powerhouse. It is a masterclass of filmmaking. Every performance in the movie is just exactly what it should be. The story... This is what a great director does. It develops in a way that after after the events unfold by the end, you're like, I should have seen all of this because it was mm-hmm. so well lined up, but you don't because it's so skillfully done. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really fantastic movie. I enjoyed it so much. And like, yeah, at the end, I was like, whoa, did not um, expect that to, to be how it ended. Um, there's Benedict Cumberbatch is... <sighs> So handsome um, and also very good in this movie. I, I thought he did uh, such a fantastic job. And Kirsten Dunst is just, God, she's so good as this just like rattled and shaken and terrified woman. Like that scene where she's like trying to play the piano for the guests. And she, she's just like, I can't. And oh my God, she was so, like, she should be nominated for everything because she was fantastic. There's a chance that this movie's going to run the table. Best picture, best director, best actor, 
Best Supporting Actress, Best Supporting Actor for Cody Smith McPhee. That would be back-to-back Best uh, Director Women, because Chloe Zhao won. Yeah, it'll be the first time in history. She'll also be the first female director to ever be nominated twice. Twice, yes. I and mean, that's what shot like. I mean, she was only the second woman ever nominated in the first I place. I know. My God, when I saw the, because pi- I watched the piano and I was like, Jesus, she was the second woman? Yeah. And that was like from the 90s. <laughs> it was like, this so messed up. But again, it's not because like, oh, well, this will be a good year to do that. No, this, that I don't know a better movie out there fantastic. this fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it's, it is beautiful it's so beautifully shot like the landscapes are breathtaking the framing is fantastic in every scene it's just a breathtakingly stunning movie like can't recommend it enough this movie is like the script from a to z it all it's a puzzle that all fits together just perfectly and when it's over you're like i kind of maybe i need to go rewatch that whole thing yeah, and we and we talked earlier uh, that might have been before we started recording about like the sort of like stigma of Netflix movies, um, yeah. and it's it's honestly one that I would have just like yeah I don't want to see that because it's a Netflix movie. But then I was like eh, I like Jane Campion, so I'll watch it. And then of course it's like getting getting some buzz, so I was like yeah I'll watch it. And then was like oh shit I love it. <laughs> yeah, well I think with Netflix they always they they bank on a bunch of films that they put out at the end of the year some of them they purchase some of them are right they they've sponsored they don't all pay off but mm-hmm. this one did in a major way super great um so yeah. i don't know i haven't seen there's a lot of films i still need to see that i'd like to see before i could say what is my favorite film of the year but right now i think this was probably the best film of the year that i've seen of 2021 or 2022 okay. 2021 no 2022 i have <laughs> like wow you're, call, you're calling no, it already no, I, I, it takes me sometimes like a two months into 2022 to see all of 2021s uh you sure. still see you've seen titan i i want to see that that's uh talk about a movie that's like tough to talk about uh but yeah, i, I like see it. it's it was my favorite of 2021 and I sort of do like movies that I watched in 2021. I don't necessarily like do, oh, you know. You, uh, yeah, that's right. Here. You did because you put on your list like Promising Young Woman, which to me is a 2020 movie. Yes. And so that's just new to me in 2021. And so those are my favorites. And so also like, you know, The Devils was on my list and that's from the 70s. So <laughs> well, a lot of people do. They like maybe this year I'll think of doing that is. Movies that I kept, I see so much stuff on Criterion that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Movies yeah. I thought were really good because I saw this movie, um, it was other streaming services, but I saw this movie, Mike's Murder, that was from the early 80s and it's got mm-hmm. Deborah Winger in it. And it was like, whoa, this movie blew me away. And another movie, Cutter's Way, that blew me away. And those were films that, you know, they were new to me. I had never seen them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. you know, so I really should have made a list of like my top 10 movies that, I saw this year that had nothing to do with the actual year. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's like those older movies that we take the time to go and revisit are often some of the, there have been years where the best movies I've seen, like were not from that year. They were all like much, much older movies because there's some good stuff out there that I haven't seen. And like in my quest to just see as many movies as possible, I've uncovered so many amazing gems well, there's time. always more to discover. There's always more to discover. That should be the tagline for like, I don't know, Criterion or something. <laughs> like, there's always more to discover. Out of all the streaming services, if I was told I have to get rid of like, you know, all but one. That's the one I would keep. 
All right. Well, we've talked now for a long time. And a long time, I, you know what? Yes. I, it's been such an engaging conversation. I was probably just going to put the whole thing up there. Um, oh, no. With very limited <laughs> cuts. But again, as always, Shannon, who hails from the Pacific Northwest, is she's my spirit animal of movies. <laughs> It's no fun to have the exact same opinion of a movie. So we both just like gushed over licorice pizza. I'd probably yeah. go, I didn't know Shannon was really that into a movie where a 28-year-old. I didn't know she was into pedophilia. That's weird. Uh <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, you know, but yes, uh, so you. But no, and I appreciate the discussion. I just appreciate a different perspective because I've been very in my head about just not being able to get over that aspect of the movie, and I'm still not over it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I don't think our discussion was really there to change anybody's opinion of ours. No. The the thing that I want to get through to anybody that, that ends up listening to this is that you don't have an opinion about a movie like Licorice Pizza unless you actually go and watch it. Yeah. And then don't be surface. You got, like don't just be like, oh, cut and dry. Like there was these uh, offensive scenes about a guy who was making fun of Asian people. That's not yeah. exactly. That's a very surface level thing of what this movie's about. And I guess I challenge people when they go to see a film like this to don't just go in thinking, oh, well, this is. I didn't think it was as funny as I thought it was going to be, or whatever. It's like these right, are yeah. not surface level movies here these are yeah movies that are this isn't bit super bad or something <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right and it wasn't designed to be a super bad right right uh, but even then they had age-appropriate relationships in super bad just telling you right they were that's true they were, they were all teens <laughs> there was no stifler's mom involved exactly in that. <laughs> See? God, the early 2000s right. we loved st- it was nine yeah 2000 we love stifler and stifler's mom that was a oh, funny <laughs> Yep. We are doomed as a species. So, well, well I think we are. Yes. Um, happy further proof, everybody. Yes. Have a great <laughs> we'll year. We'll see. But I'm I'm sure as long as I'm still doing a podcast here, I'm sure I will be speaking with Shannon in the near future. Hopefully, we'll have some kind of fun movie to talk about. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Come back anytime. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> yes. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.